Welcome to Healthcare Highwire, where we balance business with healthcare. Sandy has served as Director of Clinical Operations, Clinical Compliance Specialist, and Director of Nursing Services. She joined LCS in 2013, where she is the Director of Clinical Services for our life plan communities. Today's host, Sandy Toole. Jennifer is the ANCC Accredited Provider Program Director and Mock Surveyor in the Health Services Division at LCS. She oversees the Life Care Services Accredited Provider Unit, which plans, develops, and executes ANCC Accredited Nursing Continuing Professional Development Education. Today's speaker, Jennifer Williams-Land. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our discussion today on the Phase 3 Requirements of Participation for the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Programs. I'm Sandy Toole. And just as a reminder, Phase 3 went into effect on uh, 2019, way back in 2019, with no interpretive guidance for the surveyors. And then on June of this year, CMS released the surveyor guidance, which will begin on October 24th, 2022. And it's our goal to help you understand these changes and how you can prepare for them. I am joined today by my colleague, Jennifer Williams-Lamb, and today we're going to talk about infection control. So welcome, Jennifer. Hey, thanks, Sandy. It's good to be here with you and to help everyone who may have questions um, regarding those Phase 3 ROP changes. Um, Together, we're going to work through each area and have a better understanding and preparation for the October 24th, 2022 guidance. Great. Well, it's always wonderful to have your surveyor expertise when we're talking about rules of participation and the surveyor guidance. So I'm grateful to have you on the call today, Jennifer. So could you possibly recap for us, um, you know, what can we expect, first of all, just from this new series of podcasts that we're going to be doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Each podcast covers one of the 14 areas with phase three changes, and we're going to utilize information that was provided to us from CMS, ACA, and Leading Age. And as always, we reference the State Operations Manual Appendix PP to provide for you the same information that your state surveyors use when they come in to do their surveys. So I would advise that you download the SOM and follow along to get the most complete information. Oh, that's very, very good advice. Referring back to the state operations manual is uh, always a good tip. Well, as we said, today we're going to discuss infection control, which includes those tags of uh, F880, F881, 882, and 883. And then along with those tags, there are some changes under F868 regarding quality assurance. So, Jen, is it possible for you to just give us a brief explanation of what uh, those tags entail with changes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to define those tags for you real quick. Um, F880 states that the facility must establish and maintain an infection prevention and control program that's designed to provide a safe, sanitary, and comfortable environment to help prevent the development and transmission of communicable diseases and infections. The facility must establish an infection prevention and control program that includes, at a minimum, a system for preventing, identifying, reporting, investigating, and controlling infections and communicable diseases 
diseases for all residents, staff, volunteers, visitors, anybody basically that, that comes in, and any uh, individuals that provide services um, based on the facility assessment. It's also written standards, policies, and procedures for the program, including surveillance, reporting, standard-based precautions, isolation, and corrective uh, action for incidents recorded. Um, Linens have to be handled, stored, and processed, and transported so as to prevent the spread of infection. It kind of seems weird that they throw linens in there, but but that is where it's housed, and they do look... uh, pretty strongly at how those are handled. Um, There must be also an annual review of the IPCP with updates as necessary. Moving to F881, it states that the facility must establish an infection prevention and control program that must include at a minimum an antibiotic stewardship program that includes antibiotic use protocols and a system to monitor antibiotic use. F882 states facilities must have an infection preventionist And uh, you can designate one or more persons for that, but they are to oversee the IPCP. The individual must have primary training in professional nursing, medical technology, microbiology, epidemiology, or related field, and they must be qualified by education, training, experience, or certification, and work at least part-time and have completed specialized training in infection prevention and control. F883 states that the facility must develop policies and procedures to ensure that each resident or representative receives education regarding the benefits and potential side effects of flu and pneumonia vaccination. Each resident is offered an immunization October 1st through March 31st annually, so we're creeping up on that, and there is an opportunity uh, to refuse the vaccine, so you do have to provide that opportunity, and also that the medical record indicates the above criteria. Finally, we've arrived at F868, that's quality assessment and insurance. This tag states that the facility must maintain a QAA committee consisting of a minimum of a DON, medical director, at least three other members of the facility staff, and at least one of those should be an administrator, owner, board member, or another individual in a leadership role, and of course, the infection preventionist. And that defines the tags we're looking at today. Wow, that seems like <laughs> a lot of overwhelming changes. Um, the definitions of each of those tags was just great, but I wonder it might help our listeners if we could just provide a little bit of guidance for each of those F tags and how they might uh, go about complying with those rules. Okay. Well, the revisions include guidance for implementing phase three regulations, which require each facility having an infection preventionist on site at least part time so that they can oversee the facility's infection prevention and control program. The revision will strengthen guidance to address issues like hand hygiene, transmission-based precautions, and surveillance of infectious diseases. CMS believes that the role of the IP is critical in the facility's efforts to mitigate the onset and spread of infections. Additionally, CDC and CMS developed specialized IP training to include topics such as transmission-based precautions and antibiotic stewardship programs. Lastly, to increase survey efficiency, CMS incorporated the review of COVID-19 requirements to the survey software for the following deficiencies. F885, reporting coronavirus disease um, data 
for the residents, the representatives and families, and FTAG 886, COVID-19 testing of residents and staff, FTAG 887, to offer education on COVID-19 immunization, and FTAG 888, healthcare staff vaccination requirements. For the antibiotic stewardship tag, F881, the facility must monitor closely the antibiotics prescribed to ensure that they are used appropriately and have an indication, dose, and duration included in the order. For F882, basically the new revisions state that the IP must have enough hours to dedicate to the assessment, development, implementation, monitoring, and managing the IPCP and participate in the QA and QAA committees. For F883, CMS made changes um, for the influenza and pneumococcal immunizations. On November 22, 2019, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices released updated recommendations on the use of 13-valent pneumococcal conjugate vaccine among adults aged 65 and older. So ACIP, I'm going to go to the uh, acronym there because saying that others is a bit much for me, Sandy. Um, (laughs) ACIP states that PCV13 vaccinations is no longer routinely recommended for all adults aged 65 or older. Instead, shared clinical decision-making for PCV13 Um, It's recommended for the individuals who do not have an immunocompromising condition, cerebrospinal fluid leak, or cochlear implants, and who have not previously received the PCV13. Facilities must follow the ACIP recommendation for vaccines. The guidance for F868 states that the infection preventionist must be on the QAA team, and they must attend each meeting and report on the IPCP. Wow. (laughs) Again, (laughs) just a lot of information to absorb there. And I think this is a really uh, good reminder that, you know, we've been faced with COVID over the past couple of years. And this is a good reminder that, hey, guys, there's a lot more out there that involves infection control than just the COVID uh, issues that we've been dealing with. So, boy, that's just a, a lot of changes there and a lot of information um, I wonder, this might just be a good place to just throw in some additional information, um, <clears throat> excuse me, regarding the new CDC recommendations for enhanced barrier precautions. You know, this just came out a couple of months ago, and they're defining that as an approach of targeted gown and glove use during those high contact resident care activities. And that would include things like, oh, dressing, bathing, toileting, and um, care of indwelling devices or wound care. And it's specifically designed to reduce transmission of staph aureus and multi-drug resistant uh, organisms. And the recommendation is not for all individuals that you're caring for, but just intended to protect those individuals with those indwelling devices like the catheters, feeding tubes, um, central lines, or uh, residents with wounds that require uh, dressings. And they've added that they want this extra precaution to continue throughout the resident's stay or until those devices, those indwelling devices are removed 
or wounds are healed. And again, I would say this isn't really written in the rule yet. This is a CDC recommendation, not a CMS requirement. But as we've discovered, of course, again, through COVID, um, all of those CDC requirement or recommendations have eventually been uh, added to the CMS requirements. So I would look for that to happen. I can't agree more. Um, it does seem like we chase the heels of CDC uh, with CMS requirements. Yeah. So adding to this, Jen, um, it looks like there are several key elements that could lead to deficiencies in infection control. And, you know, as we just said, we've lived through so many changes with COVID. And just when we think we've seen it all, uh, we get some new guidance and uh, things like the infection preventionist role, as well as uh, some added guidance to antibiotic stewardship and vaccines. I wonder if you could just provide a quick explanation of what some of these changes in the elements would be. Okay, so basically the key elements for noncompliance on uh, F880, according to the SOM, the key elements um, include that if the facility failed to establish and maintain an infection prevention and control program, or the IPCP was not reviewed annually and updated as necessary, or a system was not implemented for preventing, identifying, reporting, investigating, and controlling infections and communicable diseases, or fail to develop and implement written IPCP standards, policies, and procedures that are current and based on national standards that includes when and to whom to report the incidents, develop and implement surveillance, how to use standard precautions, and when to use transmission-based isolation, and prohibit staff who have communicable diseases or infected skin lesions from direct contact, or assure that staff handles laundry appropriately, or, there's a lot of ors, um, maintaining a system for recording identified incidents and taking appropriate actions, if those things are failed um, by the facility, that would result in that F880 tag. For F881, the key elements of noncompliance include the failure to develop and implement antibiotic use protocols to address the treatment of infections by ensuring that residents who require antibiotics are prescribed appropriate antibiotics or address unnecessary or inappropriate antibiotic use or implement a facility-wide system to monitor the use of those antibiotics. Moving to F882, the key elements there um, basically is to make sure that there is a designated infection preventionist and that they have the following credentials. They have to meet the required professional education. They have to adequately assess, develop, implement, monitor, and manage the IPCP they have to have appropriate skills and knowledge to care for the needs of the IPCP, and they have to have time for all their responsibilities, and they perform the IP uh, duties in the facility, and they've completed the specialized training. So these are the guidelines among so much more information in the SOM to keep you uh, compliant. I do want to, um, before I move on to the next one, I do want to let you know that the SOM will have a lot of guidance. It is there for the surveyors to be able to understand how to look at your facility and how to um, basically do their investigation. So if you pull that SOM and you look at that guidance, you're getting the same education they do so that you know how to look 
for the things before they do. Um, the key elements of noncompliance for F-883 include the failure to develop, maintain, or follow policies or procedures for immunization of residents against flu and pneumonia, or failure to vaccinate an eligible resident with the flu and pneumonia uh, vaccine, unless, of course, it's contraindicated or they refuse it. And uh, failure to allow a resident or representative to refuse the vaccine is also a deficiency. Failure to provide or document information pertaining to the vaccine or failure to document whether or not the resident received the vaccine are also areas where you could be deficient. And lastly, we reach F868. The key elements of noncompliance for this tag is a failure to establish and maintain a QAA committee with the required members that also include that infection preventionist. The QAA should report activities to the governing body and meet at least quarterly and with enough frequency to conduct required QAPI activities. Well, Jen, as you pointed out very well, a big part of understanding these tags um, and avoiding deficiencies is really knowing how the surveyors interpret uh, noncompliance. And again, I'm grateful for your um ex-surveyor expertise, because I think that helps all of us quite a bit. Um, And also, I think, you know, as you said earlier, advising everyone to pull open the psalm. I know that is so uh, such an overwhelming task. Um, It's a huge, a huge book and a lot of information to look at, but there's really no uh, good way to learn them without just looking at them. I hate to say memorize them, but have that psalm at your fingertips at all times so that you uh, can pull up that information. And I don't know, Jen, is there something we're going to do to be able to assist everyone uh, in monitoring and, and, and complying with these rules? Yes, Sandy, we do have some new guidance forms with action item checklists for each of the new areas. For infection control, some of those action items include examining your existing policies and process on the infection prevention and control program to ensure that you have everything in place for preventing, identifying, reporting, investigating, and controlling infections and communicable diseases for all parties. Um, Review existing water management programs. Educate your staff on any policy and process changes, and also educate your staff on those enhanced barrier precautions as well. Evaluate your current antibiotic stewardship program and make sure that the necessary criteria is adhered to. Identify who your infection preventionist is and have an alternate so that you can ensure that you have coverage. Evaluate your policy on the PCV13 vaccination and who it's appropriate for and who it is not. Examine and update your current policy and process for the engagement of the infection preventionist in your QAA committee. As we stated earlier, we are here to provide the most up-to-date information and to provide tools to assist you. Uh, The guidance forms with the action item checklist will get you ready prior to the October 24, 2022 deadline and beyond. Well, this was some great information, Jennifer, and a really good start on understanding the infection control changes. Um, As we mentioned earlier, um, as we learn more and as CMS makes additional changes in those regulations, we hope there won't be a lot of those, uh, but if they do, we will continue to provide that information through these podcasts and, of course, through our email reminders. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us today for the continuing series of podcasts outlining the changes and guidance for requirements of participation. I really hope you found this discussion to be beneficial and uh, will continue to join us as we discuss more of the changes in the upcoming weeks. And thank you so much to you, Jennifer. I really look forward to our next discussion. Thank you, Sandy. I always look forward to to getting with you and and learning more about the changes and and also getting together and providing what we learn um, to our listeners. So um, thank you so much for having me. Yep. Well, thank you so much to all of you. This is Sandy Toole and Jennifer Williams-Lamb signing off. I hope you join us again next time on Healthcare Highwires.